So you guys couldn't get race tickets either, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here. Hey, uh, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. If you have them with you, it's page 790 in these Bibles on the floor around you. We're going to skip around a lot this morning, but Romans 12 is where the focus of our, focus of our efforts is going to be. As Jerry said, uh, we're finishing up our series called Our House Today. And we've been talking about these rooms in the house, and we've been comparing them to relationships in our lives. And, and how much easier does it make uh, the relationships when we think about them like a room in the house? So week one, we started at maybe an odd place at the front door. Uh, and we talked about boundaries, how the front door represents boundaries in our lives and how good boundaries make for good relationships and who do you let in and who, how much access do you give to whom and who do you keep out. In week two, we talked about the kids' room. Jerry did an incredible job of talking about the importance of investing in children in our lives, whether it's our own children if we have kids or kids in our neighborhood or kids in our schools. And man, what a relevant message in light of this week's events. And then last week, we, and so today, we're not literally, but we talked about the bedroom and sexuality and romantic relationships. And so today, we're going to end at the dining room table. We're going to sit in the dining room and talk about the true meaning of biblical hospitality. I wonder what comes to your mind when you think about hospitality. What picture do you get in your mind? Uh, for many of us, we think about something that we saw on HGTV or Food Network. We think about Joanna Gaines or if we're a little bit older, maybe we think about Martha Stewart, and uh, maybe it makes you cringe a little bit thinking about having to clean up your house and then cook for somebody else and then clean up your house again, right? You have to do it twice whenever you do that to fix a big meal, or maybe you're a people person, so you get excited at the thought of having people over into your home, and you want your home to be an inviting place, and man, there's nothing better than having several of your close friends over and um, having a barbecue or playing some cornhole in the backyard or just sitting down and playing cards or or maybe you're an introvert and you just rather hide in your room. You know, I don't know what hospitality means for you. What picture comes to your mind when you think of hospitality? But I want to show you a picture that for the last few weeks has been in my mind when I think about hospitality. Uh, this woman in the center of this photograph, her name is Nem Kanman. Uh, Nem, I had the opportunity to sit in her living room in uh, a small village outside, way outside the city of Yangon, Myanmar, a few weeks ago. Uh, Nem and her family run a business from their living room. They take this special kind of firewood that's imported from another part of Myanmar, and it gets, they cut it up and bundle it up into kindling, which they then sell for markets. You can see over kind of in the left, that's the kindling uh, that hasn't been bundled yet. And uh, they sell that at the markets for about 15 cents for a bundle that would fit in your hand. And that's how they feed their family is it buying this wood from another part of the country and bundling it up. We had only met Nem the day before this picture was taken. We really hadn't spoken to her at all because she didn't speak any English, and, well, my Burmese is no good. And so um, we didn't really know each other. But when we pulled up to her house, she welcomed us in. Uh, she pulled up for each of us one of these blue stools to sit on and gave us all something to drink. Um, which I know that she bought herself out of her meager existence. And you can see there was no fancy, exquisite table setting. There was no beautiful spread of food. In fact, there was no food at all. Yet her example of biblical hospitality has stood out to me. The way she sat and listened to us and talked to us through a translator for an hour. The way she opened her home to people she barely knew who had a different color skin and were from a, almost literally a different world, certainly a different part of the world. It reminded me of what it means to be hospitable. Well, in Romans 12, the Apostle Paul writes this, Romans 12, 9. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Spiritual fervor. Another above yourselves. 
Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And then there's something unusual in this word that Paul uses for hospitality here. It's, not, it's unusual to us. It wouldn't have been unusual in that time to that culture, but it's unusual in our culture because the word Paul uses here for hospitality is the Greek word phylloxenos. And phylloxenos is combined with, of two Greek words. The first one, philo, which means friend, and xenos, which means strangers or aliens. Phylloxenos literally means a friend of strangers. Or as we might say it, uh, that word philo uh, is the short version of the word phileo, which means love. You might say that biblical hospitality is having a love of strangers, love for strangers. And that may be a new concept to you. In fact, it likely feels a little bit uncomfortable uh, because in our culture, uh, we talk about stranger what? Danger, stranger danger, right? You teach your kids or maybe your parents taught you, don't take candy from strangers. Don't get into a car with strangers. Don't ask a stranger if she's pregnant, right? Did your parents teach you that? I hope they did. In fact, uh, Danielle Baum, who's on our staff, Danielle is our campus administrator. She works with our students too. And uh, Danielle, we just celebrated Danielle's five-year anniversary here at Genesis Church this, this week. Yeah, and we had a, not a very big party, not what she deserved, but we did celebrate her. And uh, I remember the first year we moved into this building, Danielle was fairly new to our staff. And we used to get a lot of people who would drive by, see this was a church, and come in and ask for help. They wanted money, they wanted whatever. Um, and Danielle had the first office. And so she was the first one that people would often see, which was great for us because what a great face, what a trusting person, what a loving soul. And so they, uh, this woman, I remember, comes in the office one day and asks for help. And I'm in my office and I can overhear the conversation happening that this woman's asking for help. But before I knew it, Danielle had, was getting into her car in the parking lot. And I can see out the window, she's getting into her car with this woman that we've never met before. And she's taking her somewhere. She drives out of the parking lot. And I'm a little bit of a dad figure, I think, in this case. You know, Danielle's only 23 years old. She doesn't, uh, this is her first job. And so I'm like, uh, I just want to text her and make sure she's, she knows that she can. So I get out my phone and I, I text her. I say, Danielle, uh, just to let you know, we're here. If you need to, if something happens, call us. And then I hit send and I hear ding down the hall. I'm like, she left her phone behind. She got into a car with a strange woman and left her phone behind. And we didn't hear from her for over an hour. She ended up taking this woman down to Indianapolis to this bus station. But that's Danielle. She was a friend of strangers, but she should have learned. Her parents should have taught when we hear the word stranger. A car with strangers. You know, we need to realize what we think of when we hear the word stranger is different than what the Bible teaches about strangers. We think of criminals. The Bible usually points to people from different places or other countries, other cultures, other lands, sometimes just other households. So the context is geographical or familial, not necessarily criminal. And so before we get into more about what the Bible has to say about hospitality, I just want to be really clear about something. I want to talk about why we're talking about this today. Why is hospitality, why is this one of the rooms that we included in this series? Why is hospitality really important? Is it because I think you need to be nicer people? Well, no, you guys are already nice people. Is it because I'm angling for an invitation to dinner? Well, maybe, but that's not the real reason. The real reason is, here's the bigger reason. C.S. Lewis once wrote, now the whole offer which Christianity makes is this, that we can, if we let God have his way, come to share in the life of Christ. He came to this world and became a man in order to spread to other men the kind of life he has. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. 
the whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. And what I hope you'll see this morning is that hospitality is very close to the heart of God. I think you'll see, in fact, that Jesus embodied God's heart for hospitality um, and that as followers of Jesus, we need to be ever increasing in hospitality to both strangers and fellow believers because it brings glory to God and shows people who he is. And I know some of you are already tuned out because you think that hospitality is reserved for people who have that spiritual gift. Did you know hospitality is a spiritual gift? The Bible tells us that there's a spiritual gift of hospitality. And some people think, well, hey, I don't have that spiritual gift, so I don't have to exercise hospitality. I'll just leave that for people who have that spiritual gift. But I have to tell you that prayer is a spiritual gift. And does that mean that only people who have the spiritual gift of prayer should pray? Well, no, I think we all think that was ridiculous, right? Generosity is a spiritual gift. Does that mean only people with the spiritual gift of generosity should give? Well, no, we'd all say no to that. And we believe that hospitality is actually an expected quality of every follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm sorry to the introverts in the room right now who are <laughs> gone, because for some of you, it's hard enough when we ask you to turn around and greet somebody that you've never met before in church, right? And you can't imagine having a stranger in your house, uh, or you don't like to cook, or you don't have a very big house or a very nice house, and you don't feel like you can do that. But guess what? This is for you too. This message is, is for you. And it's really important to understand that because this comes down, hospitality comes down not to giftedness, but to obedience, that there's a call for us. And to understand why, we have to go way back to the Old Testament. In fact, all the way back to the book of Leviticus. Um, you can turn there if you want, but I'm gonna have those verses on the screen here. If you were to ask a person of Jewish faith about hospitality, they would probably point right to this passage back in Leviticus chapter 19. It's part of the law given uh, by God to Moses and to the people of Israel as they were on their way to the promised land. Here's what it says. When a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now, as always, to understand this passage, we kind of have to understand the context. So we go way back to Genesis, but after sin had entered the world, God chose a man named Abram, and Abram was to begin a new nation of people with whom God would have a special relationship. They would be his chosen people, and as that nation grew, it became known as the nation of Israel. And by the time you get to the book of, end of the book of Genesis, the, Israel, the people of Israel had settled in Egypt. You might remember a man named Joseph, if you know this story, was living in Egypt and there was a famine where they were living. And so they all came into Egypt and settled there and they began to multiply because that's the command God gave them was to multiply and to fill the land. And they did that so well that they actually became kind of a danger to the Egyptians. There were so many Israelites living in Egypt. And so Egypt decided to enslave all of Israel. Israel, this whole nation, God's chosen people became slaves. And Egypt was harsh to the Israelites and made them perform forced labor. But in all their years of slavery, God had not forgotten them. He had not forgotten his chosen people. And he heard their cries, the Bible says. And through a series of plagues and miraculous events, he rescued them from Egypt and he uh, promised them that he would give them their own land someday, a land that we now call the promised land. And now in Leviticus 19, what's happened is they are out of slavery in Egypt and they are on their way to the promised land. They're traveling there and God tells them, hey, uh, you don't have your own land yet, but someday you will. And when you do, when you settle there, be kind to the strangers. Be kind to the aliens who come into your land. When there's a stranger that comes to live among you, do not mistreat them. And then he finishes the statement with this, this phrase. He says, I am the Lord, your God. 
And we read that and we see that and we kind of maybe skip over it or glance over it and we think, okay, I get it. This is God. He's talking. He's making a command. He's telling them who he is. But for every Hebrew who heard this phrase, this would have immediately, they would have known that that was shorthand for something. Like in the same way that if you and I were in a, in a place and, and people were doing some things and I might look at you and say, when in Rome, you know, you would know that I mean, when in Rome, you do what the Romans do, right? Like we automatically complete, complete that phrase. It's just kind of, we know what that means. Well, when the Hebrew people saw the phrase, I am the Lord your God, it would have immediately taken them back to the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 20, verse two, the beginning of the 10 commandments where God says to his people, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the bondage, out of the land of slavery. He's telling them, don't forget, you were once an alien. You were once the stranger living in a foreign land. The only reason you're in a better place now is because I, God, brought you out of that. What I did for you in showing kindness and love when you were the stranger, I now want you to go do for other people, the strangers among you. That's the Old Testament backdrop to biblical hospitality. God was hospitable to his people when they were strangers in a foreign land and he commanded his people to do the same. Go be hospitable to strangers who are in your land. He says, because I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, the land of slavery, when a, slave, when a, when a stranger resides in your land, you shall not do him wrong. Now, let me ask you something. Do you ever wonder like how the Old Testament applies to your life, specifically the laws of the Old Testament and how they fit into our new life in Christ. We've got a new covenant. You know, how does this all work together? There's been a lot of discussion over the past few weeks that maybe Christians like need to disconnect our faith from the Old Testament. Shouldn't we just discard it? Shouldn't we just follow the New Testament and not really think about the Old Testament? But, but really, in, in my mind, the answer is no. We, we can't disconnect our faith from the Old Testament because we didn't connect it in the first place. Like God did that. And so there's some connection we've got to understand between the law of the Old Testament and our life in Christ. And we don't have time to go deep into how we discern that this morning, but here's a good rule of thumb. If it's commanded in the Old Testament and then reaffirmed in the New Testament, then it's certainly for us. It's still for us. That doesn't give you a full picture. That's not a complete answer. But what we need to know is, is this. Is this command of hospitality that's laid out in the book of Leviticus, is that confirmed for us? in the New Testament? Is that something that God still expects of us today or did that die off when Jesus came? Well, to answer that question, we're gonna look at three primary passages uh, from the New Testament where God affirms this call to hospitality for followers of Jesus. One of them we already looked at, Romans 12. We're gonna go a little deeper into that. All three of these passages written by three different authors, uh, likely written by three different authors. When they talk about hospitality, they use that word phylloxenos or friend of strangers or love for strangers. And so we'll start with Paul's words back in Romans 12, where we started. Romans 12, 9, love must be, be sincere. Hate what is evil. He says, cling to what is good. And then what he's going to do is he's going to tell us some of the things that are good. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, affliction faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Paul says, cling to what is good. And one of those things that's good is to cling, uh, to, is to practice hospitality. Um, some versions, your translation may say, pursue hospitality. If you're writing, if you're taking notes this morning, you can write that down. Pursue hospitality. Like it's something we go after, right? It's something that we, it won't come naturally to most of us, especially in our stranger danger culture. We have to pursue hospitality. Uh, author Hugh Halter in his book called Flesh that was written a few years ago 
uh, recognizes this. He says, Christianity in an Eastern faith is an Eastern faith, and those in Eastern culture view social space much differently than we Westerners do. If you've ever been on a Japanese train, you know that. Uh, in Eastern culture, people let other humans get close. Families are often much larger. People share space much easier, and therefore the concept of hospitality is much fuller than in the West. Although we don't mind putting out a few crackers and cheese, we tend to be more controlled and uncomfortable when people come into our space or overstay their welcome. Our homes, therefore, are much more a place of refuge and privacy than a tool for mission. The most natural thing is not to practice hospitality. But how much richer would our lives be if we, every once in a while, sat down at a table with someone from a different race, a different nationality, who had a different political point of view than we were. And we talked and had conversations. What if we took the conversation that often happens on social media where we can hide behind a screen and kind of be anonymous? What if we took that and we had to sit across the table from somebody and look them in the eye and have those conversations? How much different would our world be? Paul says, you gotta practice this. You gotta practice hospitality. You you all know if you've played a sport, if you've played an instrument, uh, the only way you get better at something is to practice it. We gotta practice it. We gotta pursue it. All right, now flip over to 1 Peter 4 now, and we'll see what another apostle has to say about hospitality. The apostle Peter wrote this, 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Peter agrees with Paul, which is kind of a miracle because people are always robbing Peter to pay Paul. Um, I like that joke. But uh, Peter agrees with Paul. He says, be hospitable, but then he says, without complaint. Complaining. If you're taking notes, write that down without complaining. (laughs) Now, I argued with myself about whether to share this with you or not. I shared it with the first service. I I trust you guys. I think you can handle it. Uh, I'm just going to be real and transparent with you if you guys are okay with that. Um, Here's the thing. I love the idea of hospitality. I think it's a great idea. And I've had many of you have been in my home back when we had a home before we moved into an apartment. Uh, I'm sure we'll have others of you when our house is built. Um, but, and some of the most wonderful, most fun, most life-giving moments have happened when we've had friends or even strangers in our house. And so I'm not saying I don't want you to come over. But sometimes I don't want you to come over. Sometimes in the, you know, you know what I mean? I, I, I hope you'll get the point of this. At the last, those last hours or those last minutes when we're rushing around to clean up the house and dinner's in the oven and we, we, we're, we're thinking about, okay, what do we still have to do? What do we still have to do? Who's coming? I, I just kind of inevitably have this thought of, why are we doing this? Like, like, why did I invite them over? You know what happens? You had a long day at work. Um, you had a long day at school, rough day with the kids, whatever. And, and it's hard to think about anything except like stretching out on the couch and seeing what's on Netflix. You know what I mean? And so there might be in my heart, a temptation to complain a little bit. Why tonight? Why are we always the ones to invite? Why do we never get invited? We hosted last time. Haven't we given enough, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, I can see it in your faces. You all hate me now, don't you? <laughs> you all think so much less of me. But do you know what? More often than not, I find out I was wrong. What I thought was going to deplete me actually ends up filling my tank in a lot of cases. Uh, And I'm so glad we made the effort. And I'm ashamed that I complained about it. 
you know, and, and remember that Leviticus passage talks about loving people as yourself. And so in a lot of cases, hospitality is less about what it does for me, and it's more about what it does for the person I'm being hospitable to. i got to think about their day. What's their day been like? What are they going through? It's not just about what's, what giving is going to require of us, but it's what it gives to other people even more, I think, than that. So don't complain. Thank God that he has invited you into the ministry of hospitality. And besides, if I've been to your house at some point in my life, I'm sure that I've drained your tank one way or the other. So here's the truth. Here's the, here's the hard truth about this. We can give to others without our hearts being involved. Right? We can be hospitable in action without being hospitable in our spirit, in our heart. We can invite others in without really caring about them or loving them. But true biblical hospitality always starts right here. It starts in the heart. So Peter says, offer hospitality to one another without complaining. And then one more passage I want to point you to. It's Hebrews 13, verse 1 and 2. It says this, keep on loving one another as brothers or sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. It says, uh, don't forget to show hospitality, or your, your translation may say, say, do not neglect do not neglect it. If you're writing, taking notes, write that down. Do not neglect it. Pursue hospitality without complaining. Do not neglect it. So this passage specifically points back to the Old Testament idea of hospitality, Leviticus 19, this idea of love for strangers. This idea is not forgotten in the New Testament. It's not cast aside. Um, the author even says, some people have shown hospitality to angels, right? That there's, there's something spiritual about offering hospitality to people that there's something that happens in the spiritual realm when we exercise hospitality towards others. And Jesus confirmed this, you may remember, in Matthew 25, where he says, whatever you've done for the least of one of my children, you've done for, you do for me. There's something spiritual that happens when we pursue hospitality. So if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what the New Testament teaches. Pursue hospitality without complaining and do not neglect it. So we talked about how biblical hospitality has its roots in the Old Testament. It's reaffirmed in the New Testament by at least three different authors that we know of, but we also see it time and time again in the example of Jesus's life. And, and it's so hard, it was so hard for me preparing this message to narrow it down to one time where Jesus really showed hospitality to people. But in just a couple minutes, we're gonna take communion. And so I thought about this one time that we see in John chapter 13, where Jesus is about to, to, to have his disciples over for the last supper the night Jesus would be betrayed and handed over to the religious leaders to be tried and abused and beaten and ultimately crucified. But in verse one, we read this, John 13, one. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come, that he should depart from the world to his father, having loved his own for who were in the world, he showed them the full extent of his love. And so you think, well, he's gonna show hospitality to friends. And that's true, but watch this in verse four. He rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took up a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. Verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done for you? Or done to you in this passage. You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, so also, so you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now think about to these three points that we said a minute ago. Pursue hospitality without complaining. Do not neglect it. Look at, look at what Jesus did here. He pursued hospitality. Naturally, probably not a natural 
uh, thing for Jesus to think about in these last days and moments of his life. I mean, he's, he, he's hours away from certain torture, beatings, and the most painful and gruesome death imaginable. And yet this is what he pursues. He takes off his clothes and he wraps a towel around his waist and he fills a basin with water and he shows the disciples the full extent of his love. The most important person in the room becomes a servant to everyone else. He didn't complain. If you read this entire passage, which maybe you should do today, read this entire passage in John 13, what you see is that one of the people whose feet Jesus washed was Judas Iscariot, who was the one who would go and betray him. Like, and Jesus does this knowing full well what's in Judas's heart, that he would leave this room, go to those who wanted to kill Jesus and lead them to him. And yet not a complaint comes from his mouth. He does say, not everyone at the table is clean, but then he washes the feet that will lead the angry mob back to him. And he didn't neglect to show love for the stranger. In fact, Jesus commands his disciples, he says, what I have done for you, you now go and do for others. You go show hospitality to others. You go serve others. And we know that the disciples then went to Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the earth and did the same thing and shared the good news. And they brought Jew and Gentile alike to saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to see. If C.S. Lewis was right, that the point of becoming a Christian is something nothing else than to become a little Christ, then if we are to become little Christs, hospitality must be ever increasing in us. So what does that look like? What does showing the full extent of your love look like? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, I gotta tell you the full extent of your love would be to share that love with somebody else, right? To go and make disciples who will make disciples. But you gotta build that relationship first. So it's summer, fire up the grill, invite some neighbors over and get in their lives. Join a connection group, think about starting one, team up with somebody and do that. If you don't have a home that's equipped or you don't feel equipped to teach others, man, make this a team sport, it's all right. Host a Bible story time for kids. If you don't know the Bible well enough to teach adults, hey, kids don't know, host kids over at your house. That's a great way to get to parents. You know, partner with somebody who who wants to do the same thing. Partner with somebody else to reach your neighborhood. Who are the Christians in your neighborhood that you can partner with, that you can go out and reach? Who are the Christians in your school that you can partner with, that you can reach the other students in your school or your workplace? You know, put together a plan. Author Kathy Chapman Sharp wrote an article for Lifeway Magazine called How to Change the World with Christian Hospitality. And in in that article, she wrote this. Take heart. Practicing Christian hospitality isn't about glamorous table settings or platters of picture perfect food. It's about practicing servanthood. More importantly, it's about loving others through Christ. And she continued, somewhere along the way, you'll realize that people are not in your home for the unlimited entertaining budget. Rather, they sense loving kindness and genuine concern. That's the moment when your home becomes a sanctuary for those God sends your way. And what we see over and over again in the life of Jesus is this. He he practiced hospitality right up until the very end. You know, in in fact, with the act that we celebrate today through the taking of communion, Jesus showed us the full extent of his love. And in just a minute, we're gonna take communion together and we're going to remember the most hospitable act in all of history, that Jesus went to the cross while we were strangers. The Bible says that we were enemies of God, that we were strangers to him. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Have you accepted that hospitality? Have you made Christ the focus of your life? Have you decided to follow him? If you have, 
we'd love to invite you to take communion with us. If you haven't, in just a minute, we're going to get up and move around the room and take communion together, but the band's going to play a song. And I'm just, if you haven't made Jesus the focus of your life, just want to let you let this moment pass by. Just kind of soak it in. The band's going to sing. You're welcome to sing along with them or take a look at the words on the screen and see what they might mean for your life. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to take communion with us. We've got four stations. There are two in the front and two in the back. And in just a moment after I pray, I'm going to step down off the stage and you can come forward or backward, grab two cups stacked together. The bread is in the bottom. That represents the body of Christ broken for us. You'll take that first. And then the juice in the top cup represents the blood of Christ that was spilled for us on our behalf for a new covenant so that we could have a relationship with God. And you'll take that second. And the band's gonna play a song to close us out and then we'll be on our way, okay? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I am uh, thankful for your show of hospitality that gave us the chance to be in a relationship with you. I'm so thankful that while we were strangers to you, while we were your enemies, that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that we could have eternal life, so that we could have a relationship with you. Lord, for those of us who have accepted that gift of salvation through the death of Christ on the cross, I'm thankful. Lord, I pray over those in the room who haven't accepted that gift yet that still don't know what their eternity holds. God, I pray that even in this moment that you would speak to them you would encourage their hearts and let them know that, they, that you've offered hospitality to them. That same hospitality that we've received is offered to them. God, as we go into a time of communion now, help us to remember the sacrifice that you made for us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name.